Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Tony Lilios. Tony is a serial entrepreneur, endurance athlete, indie film star, and integral coach. We have a really amazing conversation. Tony's just a great human. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 10 years. We really dive into leadership topics, talk about what's enough, how to overcome resistance, talk a lot about the changing nature of leadership, and just share a lot of great stories and tons of wisdom. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Tony, welcome to the Growth Pioneers. It's really nice to spend some time with you. Great to be here, Doug. Excited. We've known each other for a long time. I think it was a coffee house in Reno. That might have been the first meeting with Tilio way back when. It must have been at least eight, 10 years ago or something. 10, about 10. I heard about you. We might have met, and then we met at your movie opening in Santa Barbara. Ooh, you're right. For Crossing (laughs) with Tom, that's right. Yes. Yes. Well, you are a when man. My hair of- was black. That your listeners can't <laughs> tell, but I now have white hair. <laughs> my kids don't even recognize me in that film anymore. They're like, "Is that really you?" <laughs> well, you've aged well, and you are a man of many talents. And I'm just really honored to have you on the the show today. And just to, as a way of introduction, can you give us just a little bit of of your personal background? Yeah, it's a multi-threaded story. So you mentioned the Crossing Bhutan, so I'll have to weave that in here. But yeah, I'm a, a adventure by in my core being, and that has shown up in ways of adventuring and creating new products. So I had a product design firm doing lots of innovation for companies like Apple, Dell, and Cisco, spun out our own companies out of that, most notably the company Spec Products. Many listeners may have that on their cases of their phone, cases for their phones, And then personal adventures, doing endurance athletics, Ironmans, multiple. I've done 12 Ironmans now, open water swimmer, swam across Crater Lake and back. I'm kind of known for the only person I've done that. And then we did this crossing of Bhutan, first human-powered crossing of the country, made a film out of that. And the story goes on. So now I find myself in the in the seat of coaching. Executive coaching is how I would call it. It's full integral coaching is what I do with clients. Yeah. I can keep going, but the thread just keep getting more uh, afraid. I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know that you had swim across Crater Lake. I mean, that is a cold lake and, and high altitude at that. So that must've been a, quite the experience. Yeah. It was the, the way that story came to be is a bit of a story and we can do that or not. So I'll let you decide, but it was, well, uh, it was unprecedented and is my version of going to the moon. It was quite a courageous and calculated thing, you know, hand in hand to do that. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll get there. The other thing, you're involved in an organization that's near and dear to my heart. Anybody that has listened to me knows that I'm a huge supporter of entrepreneurs organization. It's been transformative in my own life. And you are now the chapter president for the Reno Tahoe chapter, which just happened here a month ago or so. It's actually officially happening in seven days. So, okay, so uh, we're, we're almost the there. <laughs> yep. I've been a member for 25 years now. So I go way back. It's been a instrumental in my life. So many things that I kind of hang my hat on today as part of my identity or accomplishments or things that have shaped me. I can draw threads right back to EO, a significant number. I mean, it's incredible. I'm so grateful that somehow at my 27-year-old self, I stumbled in into it and jumped in. Yeah, I, I think I described it almost exactly the same way. I, I think I said 
everything good except for my children, my wife have come as a result of being part of EO. <laughs> so there's a, yeah. there's a, it, it's just that powerful. And I would say my kids did come from it, honestly. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The ability to have them. So it was like, so yeah, a lot's come from EO. That's true. The staying married is definitely a function of EO in a big part. So that, yes, the children come from that too. And just how impactful that has been. And, and I'm just really excited about your leadership. I mean, you bring such a holistic way of being to every situation. But I think that what I've already noticed, the impact that you're having on the chapter, and just I've just always appreciated our conversations. They bring such depth across many specters. So, so you mentioned, you know, your coaching style is integral. Can you give maybe just a little bit of a background, a little primer on integral? I know that's a big topic, but maybe just as a little background. I'll kind of keep it kind of high level. You said holistic, integral. They're kind of, you know, those feel like a little touchy feely. And sometimes for some people that's like kryptonite. Integral coaching comes from this viewpoint that you are this common thread in all parts of your life. All of you, your body, your heart, and all of that informs how you show up in all aspects of your life, at home, at work, and they're connected. They're not siloed. There's this separating business and personal and who you are in these different domains is not true. You can silo things if you want functionally, but you are a common thread and your developmental arc, your developmental growth benefits or doesn't benefit. You know, it's, it's, it's hindered in all those domains together. So as an integral coach, we look at all those domains when we're with a client and shoring up and developing them in kind of ways that will show up in all all domains of their lives. The conversations are not limited to one aspect. Some people, are you a life coach? Well, kind of. Are you an executive coach? Kind of. It's all of that. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I think all executive coaching is life coaching. And you know how you, I say it is sort of like how you are in one aspect of your life is how you're going to be in all aspects of your life. And yeah. The I, phrase I, I use for that is how you do anything is how you do everything. There you go. Beautiful. How you do anything is how you do everything. So noticing how you like relate to going to the gym might be related to how you show up going to work or managing people. The way you manage your family is the way you manage people at work. Like there are themes that come out and you can work with people in any of these domains because it will show up across the variety of domains they show up in. Yeah. What was your initial inspiration to move into coaching? I was coached. I've had a variety of coaching throughout my life, uh, very domain-specific coaching. But then I had an amazing coach through Stegen Leadership Academy. Nathaniel Chalkin was my coach. And that was my first and only experience working with an inter integral coach. And my head exploded. Uh, the, the way I, I kind of anecdotally say it's like, this guy never ran a business. He's a mixed martial artist, classical pianist. Like, what's he got for me? Like, I was, I'm, it's a bit hyperbolic, but the part of me was like, really? Like, what do you, what do you got for me? A year with him was just really, really mind, heart expanding, just really perspective shifting that led me to, wow, I'd like to bring an offering into the world like this. So after commencing from Stegen and selling, I think most of our businesses at that point, I decided to go to school and get certified as an integral coach. And I've been doing that ever since. Wow. I really love that story. I mean, I, you know, just another connection point. I mean, I know Nathaniel, I actually brought him into our coaching collective the other day to do a Byron Katie work 
with us. And of course, I didn't realize that I was going to be the guinea pig. So I got an hour of like deep personal Nathaniel work where it just kept unraveling. It was very transformative, though. I can only imagine. I mean, I got an hour of that, how a year of working with him must have been. And what a beautiful thing, though, to have that experience, recognize that in yourself, and then bring that out into the world. And I know you are a very transformative coach. I mean, what are some of the things that drew you to coaching? But what are some of the things that you are pondering right now? Or what are some of the things that are coming up for you in your coaching in terms of like areas that you're working on or things that have been interesting for you? Yeah. The area that I feel like has a lot of juice these days and an area that I've been thinking about for a while and working with a variety of folks is this concept of what I call enoughness, where getting a sense, well, let me just start with the words like satisfaction or satisfactory, sufficient. You know, these feel like to a high driving entrepreneur, they feel so anemic, like really, like you want satisfactory, but somewhere along the way, satisfying criteria became kind of like a bad thing. And I think in this concept, in the absence of defining what's enough, what's satisfactory, what's sufficient, you end up in this, you're likely to end up in an environment where it feels like it's never enough, never enough for yourself, never enough for your spouse, never enough how you are for other people and how you treat others. How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your employees? How do you treat your kids? What's enough? This drivingness, we think in the short term, it kind of feels like, oh, it helps move the needle. It pushes people forth. Over a long term, it just burns people out. And what, what are we doing here? And so working with clients to kind of identify this in themselves and this behavior has been kind of a meaty topic. Yeah, no, I love this topic. Like, what is enough? And you know, it, it feels to me like as humans, we're, we live in this paradox. I, this is not mine. I just heard this the other day, but I, it really resonated with me. This idea of this paradox of like, you're perfect exactly as who you are, and also you're called to growth. And those things can be a bit of a paradox. So like, that seems like it's in the spirit of this, especially in our culture. I mean, this is the only one that I'm mostly familiar with. It just doesn't leave a lot of room for enough. It, it feels like we're constantly under that pressure. So that one side of the truth of that paradox is like, we're constant growing is there, but we're leaving out the part whereas you're perfect exactly as who you are. Yeah. And the flip side of that is the feeling is if you're perfect as you are, you're going to go sit under a tree and just erode into primordial ooze and just like become nothing and just sit there. And so like th that they feel like a juxtaposition, but they actually can coexist and very much do a coexist for folks. So they're not at odds, but they absolutely are related. What are you seeing in this? You're taught, you're working with clients, like what's coming up for people? Like what are some of the, do you find people, there's a lot of resistance to this or like what are the challenges that you're facing? Yeah, it can go in a couple directions. So let's talk about your good as you are, that aspect of it. People can relate to that. I mean, the hardest driving people that are super accomplished that you look at and you're like, wow, they're so amazing. When you're in private sessions with them, you realize how strong that that feeling of, and yet I still don't feel like I'm doing enough. That sounds okay from an intellectual side, like, oh, you know, that just drives them. But at their core, they feel like, many feel like they're just not worthy. Like, it's just yeah. like, ugh. And their experience of their day is not so, so wonderful. They don't enjoy their lives. And yet they're incredibly, they're knocking it out of the park on a public stage. 
for the sake of what? What are we doing here? And why are we doing that? And that really comes out in, in sessions. And and so working with that of like, what is enough can help. Like, so yes, you still want to knock it out of the park. Let's look at the whole picture. What are their competing commitments here? What other priorities do you have in your life in terms of where you want to stand on? And that's where core values really show up. So it's this, yes, you have this driving kind of accomplishment kind of set of values in your life, but what other values show up and are they being attended and kind of nurtured in the same way you're doing with maybe professional yeah. Uh, accomplishments. So core values is one area where that starts to kind of, I kind of root clients and we kind of build up from that point. Oh, I, I like that. So just having a really clear set of, I mean, I look at core values. I mean, you know, I, you know, Darius, I mean, Darius and I are good friends and I, so I watched him write the book. And so core values are integral into my thinking, but like they're as a frame for all decision-making. And so it sounds like getting, oh, there's the book. <laughs> you can't see it, but he's got the book in front of him. I love that. So kind of grounding people in that. You mentioned before this kind of this idea that, hey, look, if I if I accept that I'm great just as who I am, that, that somehow that is going to mean that I'm going to become lazy or I'm not going to become productive. The thing for me about that is, I guess I'm on this riff of 100% self-compassion. And it doesn't mean that you you don't do things. It just means that you are not in conflict with what is happening in, the, in any given moment. So let me like uncomplicate it for a bit and cut rewind tape. And for those that have the benefit of young children, you get to see what this looks like with young kids, kids. You don't have to make a kid. Some people do, but you don't have to make a kid feel insufficient for them to grow and learn. That's not a necessary condition. My kids don't feel I don't make them feel less than so that they could then become, you know, I move this carrot of along the way of whether or not I love them or that they're good enough so that they kind of onboard and grow in various ways. They want to grow and they're very kind of happy with who they are. But somehow along the way, we use this kind of metaphor of like, oh, we have to make we make people feel less than we try to do that as a way to kind of entice growth and movement. And we amplify that through life and it's not really necessary. And you can see it distilled for very young kids that they just grow and learn. And yeah. somehow we just lose that. I wouldn't say we lose it. I think we socialize it out of people. I agree with you. I, you know, that's what I talk to my kids are, you know, there's more than four things, but I talk about four things, which is, Self-care, curiosity, persistence or grit, and love. What fuels their growth in a lot of ways is curiosity. And so like, how do you, to me, that's a really powerful mindset you know, as a coach, like even to recognize that idea of like, why am, like I objectively have enough or in, in many cases, and yet why am I still continuing to drive myself in the same way, trying to assuage some feeling of not enoughness? I actually think this is the deepest human need or one of them, right? This idea, we call it the love threshold, but the idea that if I show up as exactly who I am, I will be seen as unlovable or unworthy. I think for me, what I've noticed is that's like one of those those deep, common human needs that people are trying to satisfy, but they're satisfying it in ways that will never satisfy it. Yeah. And societally, we reward and like try to applaud that person 
for those accomplishments. So it feels like they're just a step away from it. It yes, feels like I'm heading in the right direction, but it, it's hollow unless other aspects are kind of, yeah. Are you familiar with the concept of the hungry ghost? Have you heard about this? No, tell me more. Uh, so it's a, I, I think it's a Buddhist frame originally, but it, it's, it's actually a creature that has a huge stomach and a pinhole sized mouth. And so it's basically, no matter how much it eats, it's insatiable. So you can basically, it's never satisfied. And so to me, this whole thing, this whole frame that we're talking about is in that world of hungry ghost. It's like, said another way, sometimes you can never get enough of the thing you don't need, right? Like the one thing that you're needing is to feel, you know, loved and supported and worthy. And by continuing to produce in the external world, you think somehow you're going to get there, but you're definitely never not going to, you're never going to get there. Yeah. And being able to stop and reflect and recognize that is part of what coaching offers. Yeah. And there are other ways to do that, but just that reflection and, and kind of unpacking how you're kind of rolling through your life is really important to do whatever modality you choose to use. Yeah. How is that working for you? Yeah. And just, checking that. Do you find that people have a lot of resistance to this or have you personally, how, how have you worked with this in your own life? Two different threads. Yeah. The resistance I find to it is that there's such a wedded narrative of 110%. I give it my all. And that if I were to attend in a more holistic, more satisfying way in my life, I might produce less than 110% that I might, my output might go down. And in some cases that is true. Like you're in one domain, there might be less output and more satisfaction, but there's such an attachment to like, that's the meter. That's my success meter. And that until they're ready to let go of that meter and recognize the more, a deeper connection to what matters to them, that's where a resistance happens. And I will say, as when you're ready to let go of that meter, in some cases, as they feel more satisfied for what they're doing in their lives, and they've got skills and knowledge and connections and networks, the ability to con contribute and produce, and it becomes ridiculous. Like the, it, it becomes 300%. Like suddenly they're doing things they never thought were imaginable because they've just kind of blown the doors off. But that doesn't always happen. And you're not doing this for that output, but it absolutely does happen when congruence and satisfaction starts showing up for someone who knows how to like connect dots and make stuff happen. But they get, they have to let go of the narrative of like the track that they're in is the metric of success. That's challenging. I love that. It's almost like you have to go, you're so hyper-focused, you have to relax that to allow yourself to realign. And part of the output of that is greater success. There's a huge step in exercise and trust in letting yes. go of that. A leap of there. faith. Yeah. It's, a huge, it's scary. And some people, they have a disruption. Their business fails. They get divorced. They have a health scare. Some externality happens, not externality, but an external force happens that will precipitate this kind of shift. But with coaching, you're actually acting, they're self-inflicting a shift, which can feel very catastrophic. It can feel very, and so that's part of what coaching works with is like, 
do you want to step into this and how do you step in this? It's uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I could attest to that. I was, I was squirming as I was recognizing I was, you know, I had, I had some judgment about somebody that I, in our community or whatever. And I realized like I was actually the one that was causing the problems. That's uncomfortable when you have those recognitions, you know, it was freeing ultimately, but in the moment, you know, it was painful. And I, like you said about the externality, you know, in my own case, like I had my medical device company when that didn't produce the results that I wanted, we had to fire sale it. That sent me into a tailspin that ultimately led down this much better path. I, I wonder, you know, I don't know if that would have been successful, if that would not have amplified the thing that exactly I didn't want in my life. Totally. And who knows? And just the little like soundbite, I think, too, that kind of speaks to how much we're attached to that success meter is that people who run businesses for years, successful businesses, when they fail, like at some point they end, you know, okay, maybe they'd acquire, I mean, to create a legacy business that lasts hundreds of years is like pretty rare. Like at some point they, they run their course, they're acquired, they morph into something else. And it's amazing to me with clients and people, just friends, how the sour, the last taste of the fact that it failed, they, they like they live with that, and I'm like, well, what about all those years that you did? You were like, like, what happened? All that, like, isn't that part of? It? Like, I'm not trying to say ignore the fact that it ended, but like the fact that it happened, like, oh my gosh, like, can you take on some pride for that? Because that's like amazing, and so it's crazy how like people, it's that last taste that just overpowers everything. I got to tell you, that is, uh, you gave me goosebumps. You're so right how the last thing, I mean, we we did, you know, when we were running TEDx Reno, we would always end a session on a high note so that the last taste would be high. But I had never considered that the last taste of your business could be the one that, the thing that you remember and not all of the highs and the other things that happened and all the- And people, not even just what it tastes, but it's the shame, like, oh, my business failed. And I'm like, it didn't until it did. Like, I mean, so like, let's take some, I'm not like, not just rose colored glasses, but just like, take it all in. That's hard for people. You know, people have gone bankrupt, you know, like, oh my gosh, the shame of a bankruptcy over somebody is like, uh, you know, they've been some, I have two business partners that have been bankrupt and they're my best business partners. They're like, they've got like, all I had to do is just like not attend to the fact that they're, they're shame that they're doing and like the skills that they had going on until some event, you know, 2008 mortgage crisis, you know, like, yeah, you were killing it. And then this thing, you know, it got hit with a Mack truck, but yeah, you've got skills. Let's go. Like, let's yeah. do this. Okay, that so resonates with me, Tony. But honestly, I think I walked around with the badge of shame of a failed entrepreneur for a, for way for much longer than was useful, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I finally took coaching. My coach, good friend Robert, you know, basically was like, "That wasn't a failure. It was just a lesson," and it really was true. I just walked around with it as a failure for all those years, and it it clouded my whole vision. And I, I love that. The last taste. Now I definitely, that, that really. Yeah. And just, and now not just dismissing it, but like Robert's saying, it's a lesson. So it's a step to grow from. It's not a, a tattoo you now have to wear for every day of like, I'm a failed entrepreneur. Like what? 
(laughs) No, it's crazy. It was in many ways preventing me from stepping into who I really am, right? Because I was still holding on to this identity, like, oh, I'm I'm not a tech billionaire at this point, like, and I should have been. That was always what I was supposed to do. And then the whole time, your life is telling you, here's something, here's what wants to live through you, and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to listen to that. I'm going to just live up to the identity. Oh, and by the way, I failed against that identity, so I'm just going to live over here in this like painful, shameful place instead of listening to like what's trying to come through you. Absolutely. Coaching is such a powerful, I'm so glad. It feels like we're at a bit of a coaching revolution. I don't know. Or maybe there's just popular. It just feels like, you know, it's out there. I don't know exactly what brought this to the consciousness of the world, but it is a, uh, it feels like it's a thing right now. I think the old skills of just trying to upskill, the old approach of just trying to upskill people, there is tons of room to to upskill people and like management practices. But I think as management leads to shifts into leadership, the brass tacks, how to get stuff done, it runs out of steam. And so coaching is kind of allowing this next level stuff that brings you, like you said, allowing things to come through you. Like it allows that you aren't a cog in a machine or trying to optimize Doug to work in an entrepreneurial machine. It's like, what is unique to Doug in terms of his passions and his experience and his worldview and what can come through you? That's what's new and emerging. So it's recognizing that you aren't a cog, that you have flavor. And then how does that flavor shine? Not do how do we knock off the edges to make sure that it like becomes a multi-billionaire entrepreneurial and like fit into that piece. Like, yeah, that's what I think has emerged is that you can thrive a much more in place. You can thrive as you are and what comes through you. And there, and there's, there's place for that. You don't have to go work for the man, the machine. You don't have to fit in. There's much more opportunity to thrive in, in the wild. Which do you think that's, I mean, that sounds in some ways like a shift from scarcity and survival to uh, abundance and trust. Yeah. You have to accept the fact that you can trust what wants to be lived through and that there's enough abundance in the world that that will, you'll be able to make that come alive or that there's an opportunity for that to come alive. You work with a lot of leaders, so you probably don't deal a lot with scarcity, but uh, I'm curious, is that something that you you work with people? Does that come up for they wouldn't call it scarcity, but there are leaders that are wedded to a specific view of themselves and live in life that feels a bit like scarcity. Obviously, like scarcity, like I can't put food on the plate. They would recognize they've accomplished a lot and have a lot, but they function through a lens of scarcity often. Yeah. And it's a good distinction. It's, yeah, it's definitely not, like you said, about food. And it's so scarcity is really a, maybe a limited view of who they are or what they're capable of. Is that? It's always on threat. The ground they stand on is tenuous, hmm. that it could all collapse if this deal doesn't come through, if they don't get the CEO position next, that it feels they operate as if. It's, it's all or nothing. Like I'm going to be hungry on the street if this doesn't happen. It feels like that to them. And in consciousness, they can go like, of course, it's not true. And the way they relate to it emotionally and, and how that emotion drives their actions is not that dissimilar 
it feels like from a scarcity mindset. Yeah, that's a really beautiful articulation of that. I mean, how do you have any particular ways that you find are more effective at helping people break out of that or, or see, get out of that kind of all or nothing thinking? And that's foundational to coaching is is understanding the bigger picture. And so some of the stuff we talked about values, like what matters to you so that you're what the scorecard, you know, that you're keeping is really the scorecard that matters to you and not this artificial thing that's been put on you. And so is it really all or nothing? Just being able to address that can really help someone step more confidently into the arena and let the results fall where they may, where it doesn't feel like all or nothing. It's a little bit of a, a weird segue, but I just want to bring this in because it's new for me. So John McEnroe spoke at Stanford commencement last weekend, and part of his speech, he talks about Bjorn Borg's retirement and how Bjorn held the view that if you're not number one, you're it doesn't matter. Like, why are you in the game? And he's like, I'm out. And John was like, are you kidding me? Like, it's the fight. It's the frothiness. Like our battle that we fought in Wimbledon, people remember the battle. They don't even remember who would necessarily won that day. It was just like, oh, the glorious fight. And he's like, that's what kind of can really bring you alive. And so it's not the scorecard is not necessarily like, did I win or not win that day? But how you showed up and what it brought out in yourself and bring out in others. And he begged Bjorn to come back to the game for that. Like, you're my arch nemesis, but please, like for the sake of all of us, come back. It's a kind of a different wiring. Is it like, is, is it number one or nothing? Or is it for being in the arena and fighting, being in that struggle. That's helpful, I think, with clients to like kind of slip into that view of like, it's not all or nothing. Yeah. No, no. I mean, again, oversimplification, it's like you said it with much more passion than I'm about to, but like it's the journey, not the destination. Yes, it is right? that. It's really a, and, a and not just the journey, but like, how do you savor that journey? It's a sacred thing. We get to do this every day. Oh my gosh. And if you're not enjoying the journey, like, what are you doing? Is it all? Because I think, again, this gets simplified where it's like, oh, don't you know about sacrifice? You have to suffer now for the sake of something later. Yeah, I understand sacrifice and I understand grit. So we're not talking, we're not ignoring that aspect of it, but you can also savor the journey without a doubt and sacrifice and show up with grit. It's not mutually exclusive. You can enjoy like being in that process. Yeah, no, I love that. And that kind of just brings back up to that paradox, right? Like you can both love the moment and everything about that and also continue to grow. That's why I do endurance. So endurance athletics, I don't do them to be number one on a podium and to get like a big check because there's like, that's not in my purview. Like I'm, I'm a middle of the packer, back of the packer guy. But the struggle to do these things, that's the journey. It's like, yes, and they result in some cool things like, oh, going to the world championships in Kona or doing the Crater Lake swim. It's easy to just like tell someone about that, like, ooh, ah, but really it's the process of getting there, all the struggle. That's actually the juice. That's like, that's like a cherry at the end that I get to like talk about this cherry. And, but for me, the value has always been in the, the growth along the way, the person you've become, the becoming is the reward. This thing that happens at the end, if it happens, it doesn't happen. It's like, well, I have less ego attached to that 
How do you motivate yourself to do that? Like for me, the idea of swimming in Crater Lake sounds uber scary. I mean, or not even, even just even getting to that place. So what is, how do you, how do you motivate yourself? Because for me, like one of the commitments I made is I'm not going to do anything out of self-aggression anymore. So I used to whip myself to go get things done, but I, I decided I'm not going to do that. And that meant that I didn't like exercise for like two years until I realized exercising was super loving to myself. But I'm, so I'm curious, like, what is, how do you motivate yourself to do something like that? Maybe a little bit like with a ball and a dog. I've never used the metaphor where you throw a ball and then you run to it. Like I kind of throw things in front of myself. They become kind of guiding guideposts. They, they kind of pull me through, but it's not, I can't wait to eat that chocolate cake down the road, this ball I've thrown down there, but it's, it helps kind of propel me through effort. So like, for example, you know, name drop here is uh, I got to take Richard Branson out for mountain biking in the fall Was he when he was here in Lake Tahoe. And spending the day with him was like amazing. Like my head was like, like super, like my heart. It was just, it was an amazing day. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole there too much, but it was amazing. But I got invited to go with him, a select group of people and his family to Bhutan on an expedition or not an expedition, but a, a bit of an adventure in October. And I'm like, I'm all in and I need to like lose some weight. I haven't been at altitude for a while. Like I'm a little like that for me is like throwing the ball down the court Uh. and what's holding me in my training of like, Oh, I'm better eating better and training again is I've got a couple like physical things on the calendar later this year, rim to rim to rim event with Jack Daly, then another Ironman. And so like those things, they hold me in my practice and it's not self-aggression. It's more like, I want to do these things. I'm looking forward to spending time. I want to be with Richard in health, with levity, with, I want my constitution. I want to be strong so that we get to play together in this playground of Bhutan and have this great experience of biking and hiking and rafting through Bhutan. And I get to go back to that country that I love. And so, but I want to be up for it. So my training isn't from a, you're not worthy and you're, you know, you're overweight and you're soft. It's more like, I can't wait to be like light and strong for this thing up ahead. This is so exciting. So that's what motivates me. The self-aggression side, it just, I've done, I've in athletics as a youth, like that was what was external and self-aggression was used and it ran out of steam. I burned yeah. out and I was like, this is not working. I remember the moment where my coach at 15 years old was like, Tony, if you keep this up, you're doing great. If you keep this up, you'll be able to go to any college you want. And for him, it was like swimming was my ticket in. And I was like, whoa, you are totally disconnected to why I swim. Like I am not doing this for a purpose. And my brain was like, I am going to go to any school I want. And it's not from swimming. Like it was like, it was such a disconnect. Like that's not why I swim. And so then I realized I don't even like, like you as a coach anymore because you are motivating me from a place that is incongruous for why I even bother to swim. So, so to me to find open water swimming later in life and find the joy of the adventure of being able to swim in the kind of wild water. I love that. Like I have a whole new relationship to swimming now. That's not going up a black line, how fast I can. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing that. It's such a powerful reframe. I love that idea. That will, that definitely will 
settle into me. I love that about throwing the ball forward, really wanting to show up for that. It's not just so I yeah. can check the box. It's yeah, just yeah. like, that feels really good. And I want to have that experience for that up, but I am absolutely loving the like process to get to those points. Like, it's not like, Oh, I'm suffering. It's like, I get to do this is exciting. Yeah. It has meaning. It has purpose. It's connected to something else. I can already see how you're bringing that to the chapter. I mean, we just had the, you know, all chapter retreat and we were doing breath work, you know, so transitioning a little bit into that, like what is some of your aspiration for your year as president of the, of the EO chapter? Yeah. So, for me, I don't lead a company anymore. So there's no, I coach CEOs of companies I own and I don't own, but I'm not really managing teams and I haven't for a while. And I'm coaching people on how to lead teams. So part of me is excited to work with a team again. You know, there's 10, 11 of us and it's different leading a volunteer team versus a paid team. So the threat of firing somebody, you know, it's become so obvious when you manage a volunteer group that it's like, oh, wow, the fact that I have this like ability to fire somebody is actually in my arsenal of like, that's part of how I lead people. That's kind of twisted. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like really? Yeah. That's, that's my like go to like, you know, do this or you're fired. Like that's, that's as skillful as I got. So I've evolved beyond then, but it's, it's really a challenge for me personally to kind of be in a leadership role and kind of practicing what I preach. I'm looking for that for myself. And for others, I look forward to this opportunity for them to grow for they're all leaders in their own businesses and for them to be able to have intimate experience in my leadership style. My hope is that, that they, they grow from that and they bring forth, you know, it's kind of leading by example, as opposed to like my coaching modality, which is not leading by example, we're leading through coaching. We're doing it in a different modality where, you know, they get to see how this coaching rolls out. And I'll tell you, like our lead off strategic summit, all day summit, the number of messages I got from people of like that and from the chapter retreat, like just like, oh my gosh, I love your leadership style. And it's like really great to receive feedback already, like what is working and also getting critical feedback of like, you know, this could be better and this. And I just love being kind of in that game again, yeah. um, in real time. Obviously, I'm a huge supporter of EO, and I haven't been as engaged in the last couple of years. And when I heard you were president, I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is the time to re-engage. I mean, and it just happened to work out with some timing with our grant and other things. But I couldn't be more happy that you're leading the chapter. And what you said before, I think, is really insightful about you know having the, the quiver of being able to terminate people. Most of the work that we do in community, you really have to tap into people's intrinsic motivation. So like how, and that's, a, it, it, I think that's true with leading leaders. I mean, every entrepreneur, if you're moderating your forum, I mean, they all have strong opinions and they can just decide to go and do whatever. So and that's what gets that? me so excited. I'm like, I've got this membership of like, these guys are like, these are amazing people with amazing things going on. How do we like bring that forth together collectively and congruently? I'm like, this is a crazy opportunity to like work with these folks. Like, are you kidding me? You know, it's similar. I'm like on a board of a thing called Parks California, where the we're like a 
an attached partner to the California State Park. So California State Parks, 280 state parks. So we work with the park system as the kind of nonprofit R&D arm. We're, we're more flexible as an organization to do more things than a government agency can do. But we're like right, we're attached to the government agency. So you talk about raw materials, like 280 state parks is like, what we do and what that looks like for the future and how to engage the community and uh, partners. It's unbelievably exciting, you know, and it's just like overwhelming that we get to like, we get to do this work, you know, it's like, wow. So it feels very similar with the EO thing on a local level of like, there's this core resource that I feel like is under expressing itself. And I'm looking forward to bringing that more to life. Yeah, no, I'm sure you're going to do, or you're continuing to do amazing work. Did you ever read uh, Dan Pink's book, Drive? Yeah, that was a COVID thing for me, yeah. Yeah, what was his things was like autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Like those are the things that all people want. It's just always a reminder, like when we were, TEDx Reno was an exercise in that, and we're in the midst of launching uh, Reno's first startup week. And so it's similar to that. We've got 12 different volunteers trying to move. It's a, a week-long event with like 40 events. It's a, it's going to be a big lift and all volunteer. And I'm both thrilled and terrified simultaneously you know, to, to have it come together. But it's just that same, like what I guess I'm recognizing is that that energy of trying to bring a collective group of people together purely based on intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And are you clear about that intrinsic motivation and connect that for people is really important. And I think that's, that's happening in not just in the volunteer world where you're trying to engage community, but leaders have to start getting better at that. Like that's absolutely the intrinsic motivation of not only individuals, but like, I was just on a call this morning with a client of just like, what's the motivation of the business? Are you just here to kind of drop things to the bottom line? Is that the only reason you exist is to like be profitable? That's the fuel that allows you to continue to do what, what are you guys up to? And they are up to stuff, but it's just, it's not explicit. And so it's like, let's like bring that to the surface. Oh, you're sending hundreds of people to college with all this stuff to like first generation people to college. Like, let that be known. Like, like like we kind of know it, but like elevate that, bring that through people. So that, that motivation can kind of shine more clearly as an organization. And then all, through people as well. That's the nut that we're cracking now as we kind of move into a newer generation. It's not just cogs and wheels. It's like, what is the motivation? Where's the fulfillment? Where's the satisfaction coming from? And how do we kind of organize and align that? Are you on the bleeding edge of this? Or do you think that there's a, you know, we're seeing this more broadly? I mean, I I watched that Stegen talk you sent, which I thought about moving to second tier. I'm not sure if that's what they called it. But do you have a sense that that's where we're evolving to or? I wouldn't say the bleeding edge, but I would say a leading edge. And I think there's an appetite for it. There's a COVID kind of shook things up. And when people have to ask hard questions, even simple things like, do we have an office? Do we work remote? You know, return to work or stay working remotely? Like what, what does that look like? When you start to have to ask hard questions, it brings this environment of asking hard questions. You're forced to reflect of what you're up to as a business, as a person, that's what we did personally, but businesses have to kind of re-ask those questions in a very meaningful way. It's being precipitated. This conversation has been around, but I think COVID has definitely caused this event 
where there's more people have to lead. They have to find that intrinsic motivation more clearly because individuals have more options now and they're willing to kind of, there's more, not only more options because there's more fluidity. I can work remotely for lots more businesses, but I also can live my life a lot differently. I didn't, I don't even know if I need a job. There's a whole gig economy. There's a whole, like, what do you know, there's all these different ways to live now that people are like already been waking up to. So I think this is a leading edge. It will continue to grow and and leaders have to find ways to lead in this kind of emerging environment. It seems like, or maybe this is just my optimism, but it does feel like this is an evolution. It's not just a series of current conditions. Like, I want to believe that this is an evolution. We're not going to like fall back when we go into recession. I mean, maybe some on the margin, but it does feel like we're transforming the way we relate to working and companies. And Absolutely. Ken Wilbur, like father of Integral, will talk about these transitions as we move. There will be kicking and screaming and fighting. Like this doesn't come like the way we've been talking about it up until now sounds very like, oh, a waking up and like it's like a, an emergence. And there will be people going, get back in the office, get in your seat. Cogs are cogs. You know, there will be definitely a resistance to this evolution without a doubt. So it's not going to come like, ooh, it's just like water flowing down the river. Because I think part of what we've discussed so far sounds very kind of waking up smooth. When this really gathers steam, there will be kicking, fighting, and screaming. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we're obviously seeing that in other ways in society being played out. And it doesn't surprise me at all that we would see it here. That's one of the things that I really appreciated about Stegen. Most of my professional network and all are in either Reno or in the Bay Area. And, you know, that's kind of on a bleeding edge. But one of the things I really appreciate about Stegen is you, you work with CEOs throughout all of the country and a lot of them in the middle of the country. Yeah. Most of my clients are like, yeah, Midwest, Eastern and Central time zone, West of Eastern. Yeah. So it's like right down the middle. The receptivity to the evolution is more there than you would think. It's easy to be on a coast and kind of classify. I'm probably going to get crucified for saying this on, you know, on record, but it's like the progressivism is not the receptivity to, to some more progressive views is there is more receptivity in the center of the country than I was previously naively believed. And I think it's the intrinsic motivation. It's like, how do you connect these emerging things in ways that matter to people for themselves? You can't sit there and judge and fold your arms of like mm-hmm. those people. It's like, no, those are people good people that have you know great motivations and they have a different wiring than some other parts of the country but oh my gosh they're like up to some great stuff and so i love being part of like helping that emerge and kind of blend you know let the waters blend a little bit cuz it almost feels like coaching on the west coast for me feels a little like there's less it feels not inbreeding, but it feels like the needle moves less. Like people are already kind of wedded to some of these ideas. They're dabbling with this a bit. I appreciate working in the center of the country where there's just less of that, but the receptivity to it is more there, especially when it's not packaged as like a liberal coastal kind yeah. of, cause it's not, these are like, these are developmental universal things, but sometimes this progressivism gets labeled as liberalism and 
And that that's where it's like it's shooting itself in the foot, especially if you have an extreme liberalism voice out there. Then it's like, oh, now you're like dealing with that tide. Whereas this is this is like an evolution. This is a evolution we are feeling as a human culture, and that's what we're bringing forward. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we have to move away from the dogmatic liberalism. And this is one of the things I really liked about that video, right? Like, and just developmental theory in general, spiral dynamics, the whole thing is there's beautiful lightness at every stage, right? And that really what we want to do is integrate the lightness of each one of those. The challenge is overcoming the shadows. This idea of like, there are beautiful things to come out of some of that progressivism, but then also it can be applied to the va- the core values that you believe at a different stage. If you're an integralist, so an integralist, you know, the phrase we throw around all the time is transcend and include. And so people who are like stuck, kind of like in this extreme liberal view, there is like no transcending. They just want to stay right there. They also are clinging to a, a worldview that is very kind of locked. And so it's what can you include what what is good about that what's the lightness of that that you bring forth in a new kind of worldview but there is similar in you know in a lot of the worldviews that are out there there's this fighting to like i don't want to transcend you know i just want like it the way i want it and so that's breaking down and so and that's the kicking and screaming we're finding and we're finding you know emerging a new way to include what is good about all that into a new way. Yeah. And with each step, and this is almost like we were talking about before, when you're really myopically focused, you have to trust to let go of that into a bigger reality. And the same, the same thing, right? Like you're, you, you found safety and stability in a particular worldview. You don't want to let go, but you're going to have to trust that if you do, that you're going to be held and that it'll actually be more than what you had before. And, but like I said before, you either trust and that happens or catastrophic things happen like wars or, you know, yes. you know, famine or something else like, and then that precipitates an evolution. So we're angling for the trust and, you know, step into, but that's not to say there aren't other forces at play as well that are much more violent. What an honor to be able to do that kind of work, Tony. I just think it's such a, it's such a gift. You have such a gift that I mean, just, just talking to you now, I've, you've changed a lot. You've, you've really giving me some new perspectives just in our short conversation. Yeah. I love doing this work. It's like, you know, it's kind of like you being an entrepreneur, then kind of evolving beyond that or into another space, even though I'm still in the business space, I relate to it very differently. You know, I still think of myself as an entrepreneur as well as a coach, but it's evolved very differently. You know, whereas my business partner, he's more of like rinse and repeat. I just want to like keep making businesses and making products. And I I love this stuff that floats his boat and it's awesome. But I was like, dude, we've done this so many times. Like I'm, I, I don't want to just make another widget and like, that's awesome and sell it to a bunch of people. Like, I'm just like, there's something more for me that's coming through me. And I'm not the world's greatest widget seller either or widget creator. You know, so it's also like, I realize my own limitations. Like, it's not like that's my calling, you know, yeah. that I'm like, we've done great work in the world and I've been part of that, but it's not really like what's wanting to come through me. Kudos to you for listening, right? Taking the space to hear what wants to be lived through you. That takes, I mean, you have to be, yeah, you have to be mindful. You have to, you know, overcome fear. You have to go through lots of things to allow that to happen. 
I would go through stages. A big part of that, it was so easy to talk about spec as like, you know, the way I lead, let off this call, which I'm now doing more of now. But for a long time, I would like ignore that any attachment to this thing that I'm not attached to anymore. Why am I trying to, we've sold the business a few years ago. And so it's like, it's not mine. And so I can own that. I started it and did these things, but even when it was running, I was trying to make sure that like I was only acknowledging really my actual role in the company and not overinflating that. And it would then sometimes to counteract that and over identifying with that, I sometimes would severely under identify. I would like, I am not mentioning that. I am not talking about that. I have this other identity. I have these, like I had to let it go. Thankfully, we even start when we started spec, we very deliberately didn't put our names in the title. We're like, we wanted a company name that we didn't want our egos. Our first website was all about no ego. Like we're yeah. going to be a design firm. That's about the work, not about us. So even with that setup, it's still like you get an ego attached. It's successful. I, I want to be associated with a thing. It's cool. You know, like yeah. it's big. People have it. I love watching people in coffee houses hold my product that I designed. You know, it's exciting. That's ego. That was work. There was mindfulness very much involved. There was a deliberateness to detach from when it was no longer appropriate for me to attach and to leave space for something new to emerge. But it was scary. At some point you're like, oh, I'm a nobody. Like, who am I now? Yeah, no, I look, I felt that way. I mean, I, when we started doing economic development, when I started doing economic development, again, I was still carrying that failed band with me. But ultimately, I realized my product was now a community, and it's been so beautiful to to like actually see how communities function, down to the water systems and the sewer and the building permits and how that all comes together is pretty unique. Yeah, and to have someone like you that's thoughtfully kind of engaging with the dance of all the those different systems is like what a gift for us as a community. And that's why I let me, you know before we got on camera. That's why I, or on audio is that's I mean that's when people talk about Doug Irwin, there's like an explicit or an implicit shine of a love, a appreciation. You know, there's these like warm feelings that explicitly or implicitly come through and you get to do that and you get to live in that, that ring you bring about you. And it was one of the things I told Richard Branson, like, I was like, man, you've created this amazing love bubble. Like you step into the Richard Branson world and like everything about in that when you're inside is like, this is awesome in here. I love being in here. And I'm like, dude, you get to walk your whole life. This is not how the rest of us live. <laughs> like, it's like, it's a different bubble. We each have our own, but I was like, it's really cool in here. I love this. Like just the way he treated people. And this isn't because he's like famous. It's like yeah. who he is as a person, complete strangers who didn't even recognize him. Just the energy and how he kind of, interacts with the world is like, and that's why I want to go to Bhutan with him. It's like, I want more time in the presence of that to see how that works. So I can bring more of that into my life. Like he's a quite skillful and I don't know, explicit or like just habitual or where it comes from. He's a master of that. And so yeah. you too carry that there's an aura around you that you bring. And thankfully you're doing that and not just making the, medical devices. It's such a beautiful compliment. I love the fact that you see that in me and, and have expressed that and, and shared that with me. It really warms my heart. I I think one of the things that it brings up for me is this idea of like the difference between skills and presence. I'm curious. I, I've not met Richard Branson, but I would imagine 
like the people that I've met that that have that aura have a, a strong sense of presence to them. I'm curious, does that how does that resonate with you? Absolutely. That's um, as a complete stranger who knows nothing about him is only relating to him on presence. There's no it's just a being on this planet that they're meeting on a trail in a random place in Tahoe. And just the way he relates them and lights the space, the metaphor I was using for a bit right after that was that he's a disco ball. Like he's not a sun that just emanates light. He reflects, I'm getting chills reef. Like I'm literally goosebumps. Just re-remembering that the goodness of people around him, he reflects it and amplifies it. And so it's not about him. It's about us. And it kind of becomes electric in a moment. And he's good about like, just like turning up the temperature and turning up the brightness on all of that. But it's not about, Hey, look at me. I'm big man. Everybody look at me. He's like, he's goofy. He's gagging. He's asking thoughtful questions. He's stirring the pot in a way that feels very uplifting for everyone in that presence. And he gets to swim in that soup. Like he's making a delicious soup, which he actually has to live in. And so like kudos to him again. I don't know on purpose or how this is all happening, but it's like, it's notable and, it's yeah, it's wonderful to be in that. What I think maybe is maybe one of those light beams is helping you reflect to see your own disco ball. Because my experience of you is that whenever I'm, I mean, my jaw hurts right now from smiling. I've been smiling this whole conversation. You just have a way about you. I just love your playfulness and your dynamicism, your wisdom, your intelligence, and your commitments. I mean, it's just it's it's really. Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Doug. That's part of it is like, and we kept getting brought up in literal coincidences, like literal metaphors with Richard. I was like the one millionth of Richard. Like we are very similar, but I'm like the mini planet and he's the big planet. Like he's like got it dialed and figured out, but there are definitely, it's very familiar. And so that's why we were just like, it was so magnetic the whole day, like just constant conversation, whether it's how we relate to family or the world or business or adventure. Like it was this constant, like, Oh my God, we see each other. We are of the same. And clearly you're like a million times bigger, you know, and just like has dialed it and done it well. That is part of me is like how to like be more of who I already am. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. I got one more little Buddhist thing for you and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. Have you ever heard the story of the golden Buddha? I'm going to say no, just so you get to say it. <laughs> okay, well, so you have heard it. Well, but the gist of it is, is like there was this golden Buddha. These bandits were going to attack the, and kill everybody. So the monks covered it in mud. They came through and they didn't take the Buddha. You know, hundreds of years later, they find this mud Buddha and they shine a light on it. It's filled with gold. And that's a true story, but it's a metaphor for life, right? Which is like you're born gold and then through challenges in your life, you put mud on yourself and eventually you identify with the mud, you forget. But the remembrance is you were never not gold the whole time. And the process of living is mud removal. So the reason why this comes up for me now is you're solid gold, Tony. It's just a a process process of doing a little bit more mud removal. So all that beautiful gold shines through. (laughs) Thanks for helping the shower today and getting some of that mud (laughs) off. I feel you make me feel better about, you know, my gold. Yeah, it's great. Always spending time with you, Doug. Oh, this has been such a joy. We'll have to do this again. I really am excited about your leadership on the chapter. I'm really honored to work with you. I'm really honored to call you a friend and look forward to future conversations, my friend. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot.